0: Hi, I'm Michael Welch. Thank you for checking out the Michael Welch podcast. I am the co-host of the Polymuse podcast with my cousin Ben and the creator of NoPulp.com, No-Pulp.com. So thank you for checking out my individual podcast. I'll be covering college basketball to start out here, working in football as well, movies, music, kind of anything in that general range, anything relevant. Uh, So thanks for checking me out. I'm on the socials. I'll have them listed below. NoPulp.com, PolyMuse Podcast, where my cousin and I break down album discographies, starting with Linkin Park Season 1. We'll be announcing Season 2 as well. Today, I'll be covering Coach K's farewell at Cameron Indoor and some of the bubble teams heading into Conference Championship Week. Thanks for checking me out. Grand opening. Grand closing. God damn you man hove, crack the can open again. Who you gonna find doper than him? With no pen, just draw off inspiration. Soon you gonna see you can't replace him with cheap imitations for these generations. A verse from the wise Jay-Z, from his track Encore, off the three times platinum Black album, which was supposed to be his retirement piece, but of course he came back and he's still creating music today. So our grand opening, is to discuss Coach K's grand closing at Cameron Indoor last night. ESPN properly built the event up the entire week with their Saturday, big game Saturday advertisements that run through the entire week, and the coverage and all the mentions on their ticker all over the internet, as they should. This guy's been around for 40-plus years, a pillar in the college basketball community, in college sports, in sports coach for the Olympic team. As we got closer to Saturday, everyone became more aware of the ticket price hike that became more expensive than all the three Super Bowls. Krzyzewskiville, the tradition of students camping out before the Duke-North Carolina home game each season that started over 30 years ago, was covered and garnered additional attention with UNC coming in for this game, the final home game, senior night, final game of the season. Coach Krzyzewski's final home game. You saw the number of expected alumni coming to the game, creeping up from 60 to 80 to 90 plus to 100. Coach K has had over 200 players come in at his time in Durham. Game day was also held from the university, but pretty much the entire coverage was Duke basketball, as it should be. It was the build-up that this deserves. You'd have to be 50-plus and paying attention, close attention, to college basketball in the 80s, where coverage was much different to remember not having Mike Krzyzewski as part of your basketball experience. He's always been a part of your life. He's always been a roadblock for your team. So 6 o'clock rolls around for me, Eastern Time. Texas-Kansas is the game previous to the Duke-North Carolina game on ESPN. They have about five minutes of game time left at 6 o'clock. ESPN does the split screen, shows camera indoor with the players warming up, shoot around. Looks like the crowd's going crazy. Shows a twenty minute countdown until the game starts. So probably looks like it starts closer to six thirty, not six. And you're kinda of wondering at this point if you're going to see any pregame festivities. Tribute videos, the walkout. It's kind of a concern. ESPN wouldn't take that from you, right? This event they've built up the entire week and is a big deal. Because the game's trivial. Duke should pound North Carolina. So they pull the split screen away and go back to Texas, Kansas. A few minutes later, we get the split screen again. Coach K is walking out of the tunnel into a line of his former and current players high-fiving, fist-bumping, crowds going wild, we think. We don't get the audio. We don't get the goosebumps standing up as we hear the Duke faithful roaring in appreciation of Coach Krzyzewski. We don't get the audio. We get the visual. We don't get to be there, which is exactly what this experience is supposed to provide for us watching on television who didn't pay $5,000 to take it. We hear the audio of the Texas-Kansas game
1: and get the split screen of him walking out to Texas-Kansas audio. Terrible. I just don't get that. It makes no sense at all. No tribute video.
0: No player lineup introductions. No crowd welcoming him into the walk-in. Questionable broadcasting decisions all the way around. Kansas-Texas goes to overtime. So we don't even get the beginning of the game on ESPN's main channel, which is where the game supposed to be. Tip-off we get on ESPN2 and the ESPN app. But neither of those stations show any of the pre-game activities, pre-game warm-up, pre-game introductions either. So ESPN just doesn't show any of that at all. None of it. One of the highlights of the evening,
1: along with Coach speaking after the game. None of it.
0: Questionable broadcasting decisions. I'm not on Twitter very often, but I got on this case, and I was glad to see I wasn't the only one having issues with this. (laughs) Stupid. We had a lot of cutaways at the game, showing Jerry Seinfeld sitting next to David Stern. NBA commissioner, Ken Jeong, got a lot, a lot of airtime, and he very much played to the cameras. Terrell Owens sighting, Kyler Murray sighting, cut away to the uh, players, often as well, the former players who had a section where the TV cameras could easily find them engage their reactions, which was a big part of this game. No former NBA guys that Krzyzewski coached, whether they're Duke alumni or players that he coached in the Olympics, which seems strange to me. I realize it was a a big NBA night. It just seems strange that no one could fly in for such a big event. The game itself was entertaining. Duke had already won the ACC in a down year for the conference and beat North Carolina by 20 earlier in the season. They were favored by pushing 12. line was pushing 12 uh, by the time this finally got underway, I believe. UNC had won 10 of 12 games coming in, one of the losses being Duke. UNC led for the first nine minutes of the game, though, before Duke finally grabbed a lead, and they led 37-30. And again, they could have got ugly before half. UNC closed on a 9-2 run in the final four minutes, but Duke held a 41-39 lead at the half. Second half was a completely different story. Duke held a 7-point edge, 54-47, around the 15-minute mark. Everyone was very, very engaged in this game. UNC then doubled up its 47-point score and went on a 47-27 run outscoring Duke 55-40 to 40 altogether in the second half. And Duke just couldn't stop him. Got caught with five, defender, five defenders in the paint multiple times, leaving shooters open on the perimeter. Couldn't stop him. Offense looked lost. Had trouble passing, creating movement, mismatches. You could just see the wheels coming off. And uh it's a real sense of panic. They ran it right up until the end. Just couldn't quite... uh Couldn't quite get it together, and a really, really unexpected upset all the way around. 94-81,
1: 15-point win in the end.
0: Jay Billis was on the call, former Duke player. He noted that uh, the Dukies might just be tired in the emotional day, which may be the case. Two two North Carolina players never came up the floor, though. Played full 40 minutes. They didn't have any problems. They got hotter as the afternoon progressed. Four Tar Heels finished with 20-plus points. Armando Badcock, junior forward for North Carolina. Might be favored to win Player of the Year for the ACC Conference now over Banchero for the Duke Blue Devils, who had all the preseason hype as a top freshman, all the NBA hype, all the hype for the first half of this season. Bancock had foul trouble early, hit the bench, played 30 minutes, probably would have been one of the guys that logged 40 minutes, had he not been in foul trouble. He finished with 23 points on 10 of 11 shooting, grabbed seven boards, a couple blocks. Manic had 20 points, 11 rebounds, 5 for 10 from 3 for the Tar Heels. Should have had a couple more three pointers go down with how open they got him on the perimeter a few times. Love had 22 points, hit all 12 of his free throws, only had 5 assists, but he was just dishing them out. They had good movement in the second half. Banchero had 26 shot attempts, 26 of 69 for the team. Had 11 of them, finished with 23 points for Duke. Williams had 16 points, 13 rebounds.
1: Just wasn't enough. Looked completely lost in the final
0: 10 minutes. And man, did it sour the evening. Uh, Backcock is actually averaging 16.4 points, 12.7 rebounds, 58% shooting from the field. So he very well could win ACC Player of the year, Banchero, just under 17 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3 assists, 46% shooting uh, for the Dukies. so we'll see if he does win ACC Player of the Year. This was actually a huge, huge win for North Carolina. Gives them just their second quad one win of the season per the net rankings, which is the metrics that replaced the RPI in 2018 to determine strength of schedule, and you'll hear a lot about that as the NCAA tournament is coming up here in the selection show is Sunday. UNC was projected to be on the bubble for almost the entire season because they didn't have a single quad one win. They were one and seven coming into this game in Quad one. So this gives them just their second quad one game win. So they're two and seven in quad one now. That's how big this game was for them. Two and seven against the highest tier quality opponents as they end of the postseason here. So last few minutes of the game. North Carolina can't be stopped. We're getting glimpses of the crowd as they realize Duke is not going to pull it out. Mike Krzyzewski does not look happy. Game finishes up. North Carolina's bench storms the uh court, hugs their hugs their buddies. Team is celebrating for a minute on the court. Respectfully.
1: Handshake line, like Shashevsky,
0: goes through, thanks all the players. He heads to the locker room. We get a breakdown of the game for maybe 15 minutes before he comes back out with his wife and the team. (laughs) They do not look happy. So he hugs his three daughters, who have seats on the court, and walks off to the side to the bench, where his ten grandchildren are. Nine grandchildren, actually. And his 10th, who was on the team, uh, walks over and joins them as well. His grandson's on the team. And then before he goes and and sits back down on the court next to his his wife and three daughters, he takes an an impromptu moment, walks to the microphone that's set up in the middle of the court, and addresses everyone, and he's (laughs) he apologizes for how the evening went, and states that the gameplay was unacceptable. The season was acceptable, but the gameplay that evening, the loss to North Carolina, unacceptable. So upset by the game that he has to address everyone before the rest of the evening can commence. And that's Mike Krzyzewski. You would expect nothing nothing less from him. The guest speaker list wasn't long, thankfully. Of note, President Vincent Davis, president of Duke University, did have a great speech and stated that five scholarships each year will be given to students, athletes, student athletes that show great leadership and excellence, five reflecting five national championships and the Sheshevsky family of himself and his daughters, his wife and the president stated he'd be flexible for additional scholarships should there be another national championship. Mike finally came up with his daughters and grandchildren surrounding him. I think he was telling the truth when he said he was focused on the game coming into this evening, because he clearly didn't have anything rehearsed for the ceremony. But he talked about how Durham was his home.
1: It was his family's home. They grew up there importance of Army in his life, Duke and
0: his family, how important his family was to him, was a little off in 50 different directions. Not exactly the kind of speech you will be trying to replicate in the future, but it
1: was very fitting for Coach what you would expect he bounced between reflecting on the past handing the team off in its future his future
0: and also staying in the moment of the loss that he just suffered stating that he loves his team and they will make a run
1: this season and that he does truly love them
0: even though they may not think it right now as he Just finished shooting them out in the locker room.
1: (laughs) But he was focused on just that moment. And what to say? Surrounded by family, both on the court and in the stands. Very Coach K. Very focused on the now. And I can't imagine what it'll look like when he's gone. To borrow from Jay-Z's encore again,
0: now can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook it with the Brooklyn boy. So for one last time, I need y'all to roar. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. Coach K's regular season is over, and he's on finite time. We'll get at least two more Coach K encore appearances in the ACC and NCAA tournaments. It begins in Brooklyn for the ACC Tournament this Thursday. A couple of relevant, interesting notes. Let's not forget, Roy Williams retired all of a sudden on us at the age of 71 prior to the season starting. He'd won three national championships and made nine Final Fours. He just had a wall of accolades up and down from his time at both Kansas and North Carolina. But he did not get a farewell tour. Also, Duke's first opponent in the ACC tournament will be either Florida State or Syracuse, two teams that have had miserable seasons and will not be in the NCAA tournament unless they can grab the auto bid. But their respective coaches are Leonard Hamilton at the age of 73 and Jim Behine at the age of 77. It's a lot of great careers coming to a close here, very soon. Let's talk a little weekend bubble ball. Iowa State, 20 and 11 overall, 7 and 11 in the Big 12. They lost to number three Baylor, 75 to 68. This is a team that I would normally consider to be on the bubble. 7 11, the conference play is horrific. They had a great start in non-conference play, but they completely fell apart once they got into the conference. A team that's been completely rebuilt since last season. They had a number of players transfer out. Most of them, they have a new coaching staff in there. Non-conference wins over Xavier at Memphis, at Creighton, and over Iowa. In conference play, they have beaten Texas Tech and Texas, and they will play Texas Tech again in the opener of the Big 12 uh, tournament this week. So that will be their first opponent on the docket. Joe Lenardi has them in squarely as an eight seed in his tournament. So even if they lose that opening round they're in. They've been in. It really seems like they couldn't have done anything to play themselves out after a stellar non-conference performance. But I don't have a lot of Faith in them moving forward in the Big 12 tournament or in the NCAA tournament. That gives us Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas, Texas, and Texas Tech in the NCAA tournament for sure. Kansas State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia are out. Oklahoma is 17-14, and 7-11 in conference play. They won three straight games to end the season. Unfortunately, those three wins are over. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Kansas State. Three teams that will not be in the dance. And they play Baylor in the Big 12 tournament to open. So we will not be seeing them in the NCAA tournament unless they win the auto bid. The only team that's kind of lurking on the bubble here is TCU. They're 19-13 overall. 8-10 in conference play. 6-7 in quad one play. They don't have any quad three or four losses. They did lose two road games to end the season, but they're comfortably in as an eight seed, according to ESPN's Joel Lenardi. So we pretty much know that we're going to get six Big 12 teams in the tournament. Not really any bubble teams there, even if they were to lose to Texas, unless we have a number of bubble teams pulling upsets that could possibly put their seed in jeopardy, but that's not likely. So six teams from the Big 12 slated into the tournament. Not a lot of Movement probably going on there during conference championship week. Let's move on to the Big Ten. Games are still being played Sunday as I record this, but we know that Purdue will be in, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa's definitely in now, Michigan State, Ohio State, and we have a number of teams that have been fighting for the bubble. Michigan, Rutgers, Indiana, those are the big three. Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern, Penn State, Maryland. They're all out. So let's talk about Rutgers, because boy, are they interesting. Who has a win over each of the top seven Big Ten teams, if you were to take them out of the equation? Rutgers, who has losses against each of the bottom four teams outside of Nebraska, who sits dead last. Also Rutgers, and they have one of their wins was only by two points over Nebraska. So they were darn close to having a win over everyone that's good or decent in the conference, and a loss to everyone that was bad, which would have really been quite the trick. Rutgers was probably out. Ten and eight in Big Ten play. Twelve and eighteen overall. They did beat Penn State by one point earlier today. But they're going to need some wins to make it into the tournament. They are six and five in quad one. They're three and four in quad two, but they do have three lower losses. They're going to need some help to make it into the tournament could be interesting if they do make it in. Michigan, big win today over Ohio State, 75 to 67 on the road. The Wolverines are now 5 and 9 a quad wins. Ohio State has now lost three of four, which is pretty miserable. At Maryland, home against Nebraska, home against Michigan, but they beat Michigan State. Very interesting. Anyways, we do have several bubble teams here for the Big Ten. Rutgers, who's definitely looking out right now. Michigan, who looks like they've played their way in. And Indiana, who is right, right on the edge right now, looking out, looking into the tournament, I should say, and out of the bubble. 3-7 and seven in quad one, 3-4 and four in quad two, one quad three loss. They've lost the last two games, and uh, they did have a five-game stretch in there where they lost five in a row. That's tough. It's a lot to watch still in the Big Ten tournament. Um, the bracket will be out when games are done on Sunday evening. So as you're watching this week, if Indiana loses its Big Ten tournament opener, they're probably out. Elimination game. Rutgers, if they lose, probably out. Elimination game. Michigan, if they lose, mm, might be out. have to be careful. Might have to win a game. So stay safe. We'll have to see. If Rutgers or Indiana wins a game, maybe they're back in play. Very fluid situation for all those teams right now. Should be very interesting uh, in the Big Ten with three teams there in the bubble, unlike you know the Big 12 where we just said we have five, six, six teams in and four teams out. We pretty much know what's going on there. Pac-12. Oh boy, let's talk about a conference here. USC, UCLA, Arizona in teams that are out 3 and 27 Oregon State Washington Utah Stanford Arizona State who after a horrific start to the season horrific horrific start to the season is now 14 and 16 and 10 and 10 in the Pac12 um
1: bubble teams none there aren't there are no bubble teams here
0: three teams are going to make it into the tournament that's it. USC, UCLA, Arizona, they're all going to be seeded fairly high, I believe. Um, but the bubble has popped for a lot of these teams in the Pac-12. Unless Oregon can make a wild run, Washington State, Colorado's now 20-12, 12-8 and and in the Pac-12. They did beat Arizona uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Colorado has now won 7-8, uh, of eight. but outside of that Arizona win, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Two wins over Oregon State at three and 27, a win over, uh, you know, Colorado with a losing record, Utah with a losing record, and their one loss in there was to Arizona State with a losing record. So bad loss and one good win in that whole run to push them towards 20 wins. So nothing is going to really happen in the Pac-12 tournament outside of a team stealing the auto bid and winning the Pac-12 tournament championship. That would really be shocking. And the way the bracket's set up, even Colorado, who goes in as the four seed, would have to be both Arizona and either UC uh, UCLA or USC to win the tournament, unless both of those teams get upset. So you'd have to beat two of the top teams to make it through, and that's just not going to happen. If it does happen, then I suppose you deserve that. But nothing exciting is going to happen in the Pac-12 championship. So let's move to a much more entertaining conference here, perhaps the most entertaining. That would be the ACC tournament. Duke is comfortably in the tournament, and at one point no one else uh, really was. Notre Dame is comfortably in. North Carolina should be comfortably in now. Miami and Wake Forest should be comfortably in right now. They're projected as a 10 seed. Virginia has an opportunity as a bubble team. Virginia Tech isn't quite out of it as a bubble team, and you can't quite put it past Florida State, uh, possibly Syracuse to make little runs, although they would not not be in the tournament at all. Some fluidity there. NC State's out, Georgia Tech's out, Pittsburgh's out, Boston College's out, Louisville's out. Clemson's won some games, but they're now eight and twelve in conference play, fifteen and sixteen overall. Uh, Syracuse is fifteen and sixteen and nine and eleven overall as well, but they would have to run through. Florida State and Duke, in order to make a little bit of a run, there's some potential to do that. Florida State started in the top 25; they're 17 and 13, 10 to 10 overall. Uh, so, so, you know, someone has to win the Syracuse Florida State game to match up against Duke. As much as we would like the Duke storyline to keep going, if they did get upset in the tournament by one of those two teams, that'd be a nice, uh, nice builder to keep going. Duke is the prohibitive favorite to win the ACC tournament. Or something crazy is going to happen. Uh, it could be that one there, and Duke had every every reason to fight to win in Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor. Completely fell apart there. Certainly, certainly questions there. So we'll see what happens in the uh, ACC tournament. But right now, Duke in North Carolina in Notre Dame in Miami and Wake Forest in. Everyone else is out. Virginia could potentially play themselves in, maybe Virginia Tech and. Uh, Plenty of other talented coaches and rosters with potential, so I think that could be an interesting tournament to keep an eye on this week. In SEC play, we have the Florida Gators, who dropped the ball yesterday against Kentucky. Not shocking, 71 to 63. Florida Gators are 19 and 12. They've been on the bubble for a long, long time. 19 and 12, 9 and 9 in conference play, 2 and 9 against Quad One teams, 4 and 2 against Quad Two teams. They do have a quad four loss. It was that crazy game against North Florida at home back in December. That North Florida team is now eight and 20. They lost 85 to 55. 30 point stopping at home to that eight and 20 North Florida team. Just atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. The Texas A&M Aggies. Are 19 and 11 and 9 and 9 the SEC play. They are 3 and 8 in quad 1 wins. So just one better than the Forticators. They do have a couple of quad 3 losses that don't look good. And Florida and Texas A&M will play each other in the first round of the SEC tournament. Second round technically. First game for both of them because of the buy situation, the weird buy setup. That'll be on Thursday, March 10th. Not necessarily a playing game for either one but certainly a play-out game. So keep an eye on that one. That's at noon on Thursday. Texas A&M did beat Mississippi State 67-64 to on Saturday to get to that win 19, but they haven't really been, been involved in the NCAA tournament discussion at all this season. Florida has been on and off the next four in, next four out. They're currently sitting out of the bracket, so both these teams are currently slated to be out of the bracket. In most projections, we don't have anywhere else that should really be on the bubble there. In the SEC, South Carolina's 17 and 12, 9 and 9 in conference play. Mississippi State 17 and 4, 8 and 10 in conference play. They would have to make some kind of run, multiple games, possibly championship, to even be considered due to their schedule. Texas A&M, as I stated, will be on the bubble. Florida's on the bubble. Kentucky's in. Arkansas's in. Tennessee is in. Alabama and LSU will both be in. Vanderbilt is out. Old Miss is out. Georgia's out. Missouri's out. So that's pretty much it. Texas AM and Florida have an opportunity to play in. Uh, unless something's crazy, we pretty much know who else is in or out in that conference. The Big East currently has Providence, Villanova, Yukon, Creighton. Marquette's probably safely in. 19 and 11, 11 and 8 in conference play. Teams that are currently out Georgetown to Paul, Butler. And we kind of have this interesting middle section. Seton Hall is 29, 11 8 in conference play, currently penciled in, Uh, according to ESPN. St. John's is 16 14, 8 11 overall, penciled out. And let's talk about X Baby, Xavier. Currently, seven teams are penciled in from the Big East. Xavier is the last one in and a play in team. They are 18 12. 8 and 11 in conference play. Very interesting considering they've lost seven of their last nine games. So a loss for them at the opener of the Big East tournament would be very damaging. So several teams on the bubble in play here Xavier, Seton Hall. Maybe St. John's can work their way in. Maybe Marquette can work their way out. They're probably pretty safe. But a few interesting specimens here in the DePaul actually has one of the best players in the conference, and Javon Freeman-Liberty, who averages almost 22 points, seven rebounds, three assists, close to two steals per game, although he doesn't shoot a phenomenal uh, percentage from the field, 38% from three. Phenomenal scorer. If DePaul could make a run, that could certainly shake things up for a few teams, taking a couple losses if uh, DePaul went on a win streak. I uh, saw so again, a very interesting tournament here in The Big East, that could have some play on the bubble for sure. Whereas we already know, of course, what the Big 12 is doing, what the Pac-12 is doing. So this is a tournament that's going to have a big play in the bubble. The A-10, or Atlantic 10 Conference, home to several bracket-busting teams, such as George Mason, Richmond, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure, Dayton, VCU, is home to Davison this year, who currently sits at 25-5. and is the best team you haven't watched because they've been stashed away on ESPN+. They're 13-3, excuse me, 15-3 in conference play, which is actually only one game up now on the VCU Rams and Dayton Flyers. They're 25-5 overall. They'll be a threat in the NCAA tournament. They will get an at-large bid. Fairly confident of that if they do not win the auto bid from their tournament. The teams that could grab an at-large bid should they not win the A-10 tournament, VCU is in play, 21 and 8 overall, though they have some horrid losses, as does Dayton, who is 22 and 9. They're currently out of the bracket projections, and St. Bonaventure, who started in the top 25 this season, is currently projected out as well. They would need to go on a tear. St. Louis also possible to get a couple wins. Uh, the Bonnie St. Bonaventure is 20 and 8. St. Louis is 21 and 10. Richmond is back a little bit further in 19 and 12 ten and eight in conference play and that's about where it ends for any teams who could possibly work their way in to the tournament often at large bit. The AAC conference will have Houston in and SMU has been on the bubble uh, for quite a while. They're 21 and 7, 12 and 4 for uh, in conference play. Uh, Memphis has made quite a turnaround. They're 19 and 9. 13 and 5 in conference play. They've had a roller coaster season uh, with Penny Hardaway there, uh, Amani Bates, some of the recruits. They've made some changes uh, and have gone on quite a tear. So currently, the Memphis Tigers are in. I don't think losing in the first round of their conference tournament is going to remove them, but it could. So keep an eye on that. Memphis currently in. Houston will be in. SMU losing the first round of their tournament will be out. Winning a couple of games still may not put them in, but they will play them out. So really only three teams, uh, two teams on the bubble, Memphis and SMU, in the AAC. Moving along, the WCC, home of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Of course, the Bulldogs will be in the conference. It's been very strong this year. St. Mary's has played their way in. 24-6, and 12-3 overall. They have whacked Gonzaga. In conference play. San Francisco's been in play for the whole season, uh, but they did end up half a game behind Santa Clara. Santa Clara currently stands at 21-10. San Francisco is 24-8. BYU was thought to be in play as well. They're currently the fifth seed in the West Coast tournament, 22-10, 9-6 overall. They did lose the other night, which is very damaging, and they're probably out of the tournament. Monday semifinal games in WCC feature the top four seeds. Gonzaga will play San Francisco. Uh, St. Mary's will play Santa Clara. So you will have the top four seeds in the semifinal games. So presumably, presumably Gonzaga will be playing St. Mary's again. So which teams will get in is the question. Gonzaga should be in. St. Mary's should be in regardless of the outcomes tomorrow. Santa Clara and BYU probably don't have a strong enough schedule, don't ha- aren't strong enough in the net rankings to make it in. It is still possible that San Francisco can make it in. They do have a strong enough uh, rankings by most metrics, so it is possible even if San Francisco loses to Gonzaga tomorrow and does not make the championship game that they get an at-large bid. So, big games tomorrow, Monday. that conference they're going to be late because they're on the east coast because they are on west coast time so keep an eye on those games tomorrow night for the wcc specifically wisconsin and san francisco san francisco pulls an upset we beg for their at-large bid the missouri valley conference home to the Loyola ramblers the famous ramblers they've had an interesting situation this year they fell back to a three-way tie per second in their conference after a tough uh, non-conference schedule. It was kind of a question mark on whether their resume, as they wound down the season, would be good enough for an at-large bid if they did not win the conference. Now, non-conference play, of course, they play Michigan State, Auburn, Arizona State, DePaul, Vanderbilt. So they kind of stacked the non-conference slate in order to create a more difficult schedule to kind of help them in the strength of the schedule uh, area. And it didn't help them a whole lot. Um, and they did lose to Michigan State and Auburn, but grabbed wins against DePaul, Arizona State, Vanderbilt. None of those teams will be in the tournament. Didn't help them out as much as they thought. They took some losses in the regular season, 11-5 and in the Missouri Valley, like I said. Three way tie for second place, placed them in fourth in their conference tournament. They just won it today because the question was, of course, would they grab an at large if they did not grab the automatic qualifier? We no longer have to worry about that. They knocked off the number one seed, Northern Iowa, yesterday, blew them out, and they beat Drake, who was the number three seed today. No one else in that conference has a strong enough resume to grab an at large. So that will be a one bid league. Loyola Chicago will take the Missouri Valley. Grab the auto bid. That was largely projected for two places, assuming that Loyola Chicago did not win the auto bid and that they were an at-large bid. So that would free up one additional spot for another at-large squad, depending on what projections you are looking at. Moving along to the Mountain West, which has been a fun conference this year. Boise State, Colorado State, Wyoming, San Diego State, all projected to be in the tournament. San Jose State, Air Force, New Mexico, Nevada, who was projected by some to win the conference, all out. Utah State, Fresno State, UNLV, all have had great runs at times where pushing the top of the conference, all in that middle area. Won't be making the tournament unless they can make some runs in the conference tournament. UNLV is the front runner at 18-3, and 10-8 overall in conference play. The Rebels will actually play Wyoming on Thursday in the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Championship. And San Diego State was very much a bubble team for quite a while. They won four straight games to close the season, including a big win at Wyoming on the road and a win at home against Fresno State to kind of lock it up. That was a double overtime victory. So we pretty much have our four bids there. First-round losses in the conference tournament. Should still put easily Colorado State and Boise State are in. Could put a little question into San Diego State and Wyoming, but those four it take a catastrophe for anything to happen to knock those four out pretty much. So uh, for anyone to move in to the bubble, UNLV would probably have to make a run. They're the best bet. Obviously, someone else could do it, but they would have to win the entire tournament. Few and LB made a number of games, maybe lost in the or won a number of games but lost in the championship. They could still possibly play themselves in. They are three and nine in quad one right now. They have a couple of bad losses. The strength of schedule isn't bad, so it is possible for the running rebels to still put something together here and make a case for being one of the last four teams in. I don't think we have anything else crazy. As far as non-mid-major at-large bids on the horizon, the Ohio Valley Conference has awarded Murray State the auto bid. They did win the championship the other night. They've won 20, 21, 21, 22 straight games. They're 18-0 in the regular season conference play. Uh, There are projections that possibly Belmont or Moorhead State could get an at-large bid from that conference as well. Uh, or that Murray State would get an at-large bid if they did not get the auto bid. Don't have to worry about that. They didn't lose the conference game. All season, Murray State will be in the tournament. Belmont and Moorhead don't have the resume in the end to make the tournament, even though Belmont 25-7. and seven. You look at that, you think, so many wins. How can you not put them in the tournament? It's just not going to be there. The schedule's not going to be there. We're going to have a couple more 25-win teams probably that don't win their tournaments and won't make it in. Chattanooga in the Southern Conference, 25-7. and seven. They're not going to get an at-large if they don't make their tournament, uh, if they don't win their championship. South Dakota State Jackrabbits would be a huge disappointment. They are 28-4, 18-0 in conference play, but their conference is not very good. If they don't win the conference championship as well and grab the auto bid, they will not get an at-large bid. The strength of schedule, the resume just isn't there. They could lose in the championship game, finish about 30, 31, and 5, and they will not make the NCAA tournament. That would just be a huge disappointment. I think they'd be fun to watch. Uh, they can do a few things really well. They have a few interesting players. As a team, they actually shoot 45% from three. It would be a very interesting group to watch. But they won't be in the tournament if they can't win the automatic bid in the conference championship after going 18-0 in a conference play. And there are a few teams like that. So we'll have, a, like we do every year, some 25, 26, 27 win teams from smaller conferences that do not win the automatic bid because they can't win three or four games in three or four days despite excellence throughout three or four months in the season. But that's what we have right now. That's what I'm looking at as far as, you know, who's – make it in on the bubble or not that's the most exciting thing to me conference conference championships are great but then we turn around and hand out tournament awards and then we look at bids and so that's great that wisconsin won the big 10 that is awesome for example but i still get more excited about who's on the bubble who's going to make the tournament that's the highlight to me not conference championship banners so thanks for checking in on bubble watch and uh, my rant on the roller coaster that was Coach K's final home game. And thanks for tuning into the Michael Welch Podcast. I appreciate it. We'll be doing more NCAA basketball, certainly, and touching on other subjects as well. But it's college basketball season, so that'll be the main topic of choice for the next couple of weeks. Thanks.